Good morning, everybody. This is a wonderful sight from here. <laughs> you know, our guru, in one of his fervent prayers to God, asked, "Please send to me only those who, with me, want to drink of thee." And so you have come. This morning. I will endeavor to answer some of your questions, and they will be just little nuggets of truth. Many more you will be given in the coming days during the classes, and uh, we also have treasure chests full of them in Guruji's teachings. Our first question is. I have so many flaws. Do you have any consoling words for me? <laughs> Welcome to the human race. <laughs> Is there anyone who has no flaws? Anyone perfect? Please raise your hand. <laughs> okay, I think we are all in very good company, aren't we? You know, Dayamataji. Told us many times that if Guruji in the early days were concentrating on the devotee's flaws, he would have had no one around him. <laughs> in fact, Guruji himself wrote to an early disciple: "It takes a long time to iron out moods and discrepancies." And bad karma from souls, wherein they become divinely natural and magnetic to all. It took lots of time, patience, and labors, and soul aches to make the children of Mount Washington what they are. So, if Master is so patient with us, if he is going through so much for us, can we not be? A little bit more patient with ourselves. You know, recognizing our flaws is good, because we are told to see what we are, so that we can make ourselves what we want to be. The need we have is to have the ability to look at our flaws. Dispassionately, but also compassionately, as we would with a real friend, someone you dearly love. You see their flaws, but you love them just the same, isn't it? Those flaws do not diminish your love for them. So, we need to realize that every human being on this plane of duality comes, how shall I say, in a package. And the package contains good qualities and not so good qualities. Now, recognizing our flaws doesn't mean concentrating on them, because in that way, all we do is reinforce them. We we don't need that. The trick to getting rid of them is to. As Master says this throughout the teachings, focus on the opposite good quality. Think it. 
visualize it, affirm it, see yourself the way you want to be. The truth is that ultimately, flaws and virtues are part of Maya, of duality, of delusion. They're not us. Through meditation, when we connect with our higher self, we realize that we are not this duality. We are not this dual being. We are the pure soul. We are just a spark of God's infinite being. And then, both virtues and flaws have no importance anymore. Excuse me. They become completely irrelevant. So if the lady who asked this question is here this morning, I would like to see her in the counseling area and hear from her all the wonderful qualities that she sure, surely has. <laughs> Focus on those qualities. Focus on Guruji's sanctifying presence, which is always with you. It's always with you. And then what happens is that without your even noticing, those flaws will vanish. You will be free, completely free of them. Along the same lines, someone wrote to us, I was not that saintly in the past, and I question whether I am worthy of this wonderful path. Of course you're worthy, of course. Now, St. Augustine, St. Francis, weren't that holy either in the beginning, were they? Wasn't St. Augustine who said, Lord, free me, but not yet? Something like that. <laughs> so, I know some of you feel the same. <laughs> but just think the mere fact that you are here, that you are following the teachings, makes you very, very worthy of this path. Sri Yukteswar's great wisdom said, Forget the past. The vanished lives of all men are dark with many shames. Human conduct is ever unreliable until man is anchored in the divine. Everything in the future will improve if you make a spiritual effort now. So many times Guruji tells in his teachings that if we want to bring light in, in a room that has been dark for a long time, we don't beat the darkness with a stick, do we? We bring in the light. And the same thing is for us. We can go around beating our chest and moaning, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. <laughs> Don't we? We can go on beating our darkness, but that is not going to do us much good. What we need to do is turn on the light, our inner light. It's interesting that so many of us concentrate on our flaws, on our mistakes, but that gives them power. Let's not do that. 
We are told that when devotees went to Master in the early days with some problems, he would simply say, give it to God. He would just say, keep your mind here at the Christ Center, at Gutashta Center. Why? Because once our mind is anchored in the divine, duality is no longer there. We are beyond that. We are beyond that. You know, heroes, the ones we admire so much, the ones we read about or have seen in epic films, are right here in this convocation. And I mean all of us. All of us. Granted, we may not go around riding Arabian horses with hair and robes flowing in the wind, but we certainly need to battle the same battles of good against evil. Let's face it, all of us here are heroes in our own right. Don't we battle the dragons of ego, desires, tendencies every single day? They're little, nasty little green dragons. <laughs> And we, we have to fight them. We have to fight them. But remember, we are not alone. We have the support of Divine Mother and of six of the greatest avatars the world has ever known. Let's take to heart Master's counsel. Forget the past, for it is gone from your domain. Forget the future, for it is beyond your reach. Control the present. Live supremely well now. This is the way of the wise. And then victory can be ours, even in this lifetime. Even in this lifetime. Someone else asked, I would like to be able to love others, to relate to others more. Perhaps you can give me some thoughts to work on. This is a vast subject, but perhaps the simplest answer is that when, when we meditate, we start feeling that sweetness of God, that love that reaches out to others. When we start to realize that God is in everyone, that each one of us is nothing but a spark of that divine beloved, then we see others in a different way, in a different light. Hafiz, a Persian poet of the 13th century, expressed this thought very, very beautifully. He said, if God invited you to a party and said, everyone in the ballroom tonight, would be my special guest. How would you then treat them when you arrived? Indeed, indeed, Hafiz says, there is no one in this world who is not upon God's jeweled dance floor. I'll tell you a little story. Many years ago, I went to London to study, and that was shortly after I became an SRF member. So, the first thing I did 
when I reached London was to look for the little, very informal at that time, meditation group. So I went there, and when I arrived, I was introduced to another lady who, like me, was from Italy. She was very beautiful and very elegant. And、uh, as I greeted her, she very haughtily said, "I am Countess So and So." That did it. I felt an instantaneous aversion to her, <laughs> and I was very happy when meditation started, so I didn't have to talk with her again. <laughs> so, before、um, I returned home, I just said a quick good night, and I went to my hotel. As I opened the door to my room, I was stunned. I had placed Master's last smile picture on a shelf. And in that moment, he looked exactly like that countess. <laughs> Even his hair was blonde. I met that countess a few years later when she came to Mount Washington, and I was already in the ashram. And I really felt gratitude and love for her, not just because she was used by Master to teach me a very, very good lesson, but because when I looked at her beyond that face and behind that blonde hair, I could see Master's mischievous look. <laughs> You know, if we always try to see others as our travel companions on the path to self-realization, and very often as unaware personal teachers, we would tend to love them more, more easily. So let's see what else can we do. We can always start with small things. Have you ever tried, after your morning meditation, to ask Master? To use you to help someone on that day, you'll be surprised the wonderful things that can happen if you keep your heart and mind open. He can work through you. Don't be afraid to give away something that is dear to you to make someone else happy. Don't be afraid to give it, even if it's. Something valuable to you, because let's face it: when we step onto the astral, we cannot take anything else with us—nothing, just our soul going. So why not make someone happy now, and maybe get a little bit good karma at the same time? <laughs> Don't be afraid to send a note of thank you to someone, or just of appreciation. A bouquet of flowers to someone who may be. Lonely, reach out to others. Love comes when you give it out, not when you keep it for yourself. Don't be afraid to pray for others. At the end of your meditation, take a few minutes from your very busy schedule and pray for others. Prayer is very, very powerful. Think of others. Reach out in that way. They may never know. But you may change their lives in that way.
And then, when you perhaps find out what Master did through you, you would be very, very happy. Very happy to know that you have done something toward overcoming this inability to, to reach out to others. I want to tell you a little story that I read. Uh, was a, someone organized a contest to find the most thoughtful child. And the winner was a four-year-old boy whose next-door neighbor, an elderly man, just lost his wife. The little boy saw this man sitting on his lawn, crying. And so he went to him, he climbed on his lap. And later on, his mother asked the boy, Honey, what did you say to the old man? And he said, Nothing. I just helped him cry. <laughs> See, so often it's not the grand gesture that touches the heart of people. It's not the grand doing that touches the heart, the small, little, thoughtful things we can do every day, not the big things. So ask God and Guru to give you their love, to love others with. And then your heart will be opening up, and you will be able to give that same love to all and reach out to the others much more easily. Here is another question. Can we really help bring peace into this troubled world? Do you have any suggestions? Let's look at the present situation. There is no denying that this world is going through a difficult time. On the other hand, if we really think of it, I don't think that we have ever had perfect peace on Earth since prehistoric times, isn't it? That's the nature of our planet. It's not the highest, it's not the lowest, but it's certainly troublesome. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true, isn't it? Also, we are so much exposed to mass media, and they focus on the sensational, and the sensational is often very negative. But there is also so much goodness on Earth. See, goodness works quietly. Little is known about the efforts that many, many people on Earth are making to bring peace. The Great Ones are fully aware of our state of affairs, and Guruji predicted There will be great ups and downs in the fortunes of societies and nations. That will be followed by a period of unparalleled peace and progress the world over. It's a beautiful prediction, gives us hope. And you may remember Sri Dayamataji's experience when she was in India many years ago, on her way to Mahavatar Babaji's cave. In her book, Only Love, she 
recounts this particular experience. And she rested overnight with her companions. And、um, during the night, she had an experience, superconscious experience. She saw a dark cloud that was trying to envelop her, and intuitively understood what the divine was trying to convey to her through that experience. The first message was personal, and the other, in her own words, was that all mankind would face a very dark time during which the evil force would seek to engulf the world. I believe this reflects what we have seen in recent time. And she goes on to say, because the cloud did not completely envelop me, it was repulsed by my thoughts of God. It showed that the world would ultimately emerge from the threatening dark cloud of karma. You see, good always wins in the end, and if we unite our efforts, we can certainly help bring peace on Earth. Listen to what Master says in the Second Coming of Christ. Christ and the Great Ones have given the recipe for peace within. And among individuals and nations, the true Christ method of living can banish human conflicts and the horror of war, and bring about peace and understanding on earth. Our prejudices and enmities must fall away. That is the challenge that is placed before those who would be the peacemakers. Of God, and that's us. Those who will be the peacemakers of God, it's us. So we can certainly help. How? First and foremost, through meditation, through prayer, through affirmation, through changing ourselves, to trying to be an example to those around us, etc., etc., etc. Master's teachings are full of wonderful, wonderful suggestions. So here is something very useful that we want to take to heart. All thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. All thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Thoughts of the same vibrational nature are attracted to each other. This means that every thought we think is eternally creating a power in the universe. Every affirmation of peace, every thought of God, creates more peace. Helps this world. Master said, "Peace in the world starts with peace in individual hearts. And when we meditate, we start feeling that peace, don't we? Maybe not every day, but we feel that peace. That can be sent into the cosmos, can envelop our earth. Master has also given us affirmations and prayers specifically." For peace, let's use them. They are wonderful weapons of the light. 
And when things don't go smoothly, can you imagine what your usual reaction is? Peaceful? What we can do in those moments is try to recollect that peace we felt in meditation, and instead of reacting, being angry, being resentful, etc., etc., we can just say, "Okay, I want to be peaceful. I want to see my situation in a peaceful way." That helps the world at large as well. And in fact, I would like to propose something. When you leave the hall after this satsang, say a little prayer for peace, or just repeat the word peace, or that beautiful, simple line from the Upanishad that says, "May peace, and peace, and peace be everywhere." You know what happens if we do this? Thousands of thoughts of peace will be vibrating in the cosmos. We can make a difference this morning, maybe small, but we can. Christ said, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God." And Guruji has commented on these words so beautifully. Something we can all take to heart. He said, "They are the real peacemakers who generate peace." From their devotional practice of daily meditation, having felt the nature of God as inner peace, devotees want the peace God to be always manifest in their home, in their neighborhood, in the nation, among all nationalities and races. Anyone who brings peace to an inharmonious family has established God there. Anyone who removes the misunderstanding between souls has united them in God's peace. The initiators and the facilitators of peace manifest the unifying Christ love that identifies the soul as a child of God. Here is the next question. Master says to see God everywhere, but I don't understand what he means. Can you explain? The more you meditate, the more you practice the presence of God, the more you know, you will know how to see God everywhere. Master wrote, "We say that God is invisible to us." But in reality, he is visible in the mighty, manifested universe. God is everywhere. Everything that exists is God. And as we learn to see with seeing eyes, we start connecting with everybody else. In that divine embrace of Divine Mother, I remember once I went on a spiritual retreat, and with a few nuns, we decided to be in silence the whole time, and we had long meditations every day, far into the night. 
And I remember so vividly walking toward my room one morning. It was dawn, and I looked around the furniture, the trees outside, the little first rays of sun were playing on the leaves. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that everything was God. God was in all those things, very present, very alive. That was a special gift from Master. But the more we meditate, the more we feel His presence within us and around us. You know, I have been blessed to be in Dayamataji's presence quite a bit over the years. And I know I've seen how she is continuously and totally in that high state of consciousness of the presence of the Divine. We have seen her totally entranced looking at nature. We have heard her say, the trees are my friends, how I love them. And it wasn't too long ago she was watching a little squirrel eating corn and frolicking on a lawn, and she exclaimed with so much joy, so much love, oh, my God, isn't that little creature? He's in there. And to see her was just like looking at a divine child, totally intoxicated with the love of the beloved. So beautiful. She reminded me of the little prayer of Guruji. Make us like little children, humble and receptive, full of life and joy. I'll tell you another story. I remember many years ago, Dayamataji was given a beautiful bouquet of roses, and I was doing a few things in her room. You know, roses don't last forever, so they looked pretty wilted to me, and I put them in the trash. She came into the room a little bit later, and she looked around, and she said, um, what happened to the roses? So I told her what I had done. She looked at me surprised and she said, Oh, but you don't understand. They were alive. I saw the life in there. And then she looked up, she said, You know, everything comes from the Supreme Source. Of course, I felt like a murderer. <laughs> But, you know, I gained a lot of respect for flowers from that moment on. <laughs> In her high state of consciousness, Dayamataji can really see God manifest everywhere, tangibly manifest. And you may say, okay, that's Dayamata, she's a saint. Well, what about us, poor mortals? And I say, how do you think Dayamataji? reach that state of consciousness. We don't know when she started her search for God, but we certainly know that great ones don't come ready-made. They have gone through what we are going through now, step by step, little by little, 
never giving up, always trying, praying, meditating, falling back perhaps, picking themselves up, trying again and again, until they reach that moment of realization, of victory over maya and over the ego. Does it really matter how long it's going to take us to get there? No. What matters is that is we are on our way. I remember, I must have been in the ashram about two months, and um, I went to my counselor extremely concerned because I had not found God yet. <laughs> I thought it was a very serious matter, but she thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so our timetable is not necessarily God's timetable, is it? But if we don't give up, we are bound to find God. And then we can see God, as Master says, within, without, everywhere. The next is a question that people often ask us. From, the time, from time to time, I dream strange dreams and don't know how to interpret them. I would like to know what they mean, whether they have a message for me. Is there a monk or a nun who can do that? You know, Master did not comment on or interpret dreams, and we don't do it either. We would have to open a dream department if, <laughs> if we were doing so. It would be a very busy one, too. <laughs> This is Guruji's guidance. Do not try to decipher the meaning of every dream. Just remember that it probably symbolizes your mental or physical state. Hence, you must adjust your waking thoughts and actions if you would clarify or improve your dreams. On the other hand, if you have a beautiful dream, one of those that uplift you, they leave you joyous, accept them as a gift from God and the Gurus, because they do send us little gifts from time to time, little dreams, perhaps, just to give us a little incentive to go on with more zeal, with more devotion. And you know, don't let the dreams distract you, because that would be a dream within a dream, delusion within delusion. <laughs> And I also wouldn't worry about the meaning of my dreams. You know, if you dream a superconscious, if you have a superconscious dream, you will instinctively and intuitively know what it means. And I can assure you, you will never forget it for the rest of your life. The next is a very good question that could be a class in itself. I have read all of Paramahansa Yogananda's books, and I love them, but I don't feel I have absorbed enough. Could you please advise? Of course, you can't read Guruji's books as if they were ordinary literature. It can be inspiring, can be interesting, but you cannot approach it in that way. See, Guruji 
spoke and wrote from a state of ecstatic communion with God, not that ordinary, is it? He received inspiration from God, tapped the cosmic consciousness source and extracted pure truth that manifested in his words. In fact, in the introduction to the second coming of Christ, he says, I do not explain, I see. I do not tell you what I think, but what I'm led to say by inner realization. So what we need to do is lift up our consciousness a little bit more, expand our understanding, and then absorb, try to be more in tune with the divine source of wisdom. Master said, it is not a pumping in from the outside that gives wisdom. It is the power and extent of your inner receptivity that determines how much you can attain of true knowledge and how rapidly. In other words, just reading a truth is not enough. We need to make it our own. Guruji's thoughts are so deep. Just take one of them, read it, meditate on it, perhaps write some thoughts you have that were born from your reading. And then Master says, it is not what you read that can give you liberation, but what you do with what you read. And since we all want liberation, we happily go to the next step, which is the most important, practice. Take that thought and put it into practice. Live it in your life as many times every day as you can, and then slowly it will become part of you. And that's what's so thrilling. Sometimes when you, when you reach a point of really understanding you find that Master's lofty thoughts become your thoughts. His principles become your principles. And you walk through life, how would I say, on a higher level, perhaps closer to Master's footsteps. And uh, there is another time when, if you go through something, some difficulty in your life, those thoughts will automatically come to your mind and it will console you and will give you strength to go on. They will make you see the situation from a different perspective and will help you to overcome whatever it is that you are supposed to learn. Let me tell you a little story. After Master passed away, one of the younger nuns. One day she was sitting a little bit dejected and suddenly came to her mind a sentence of Master that he used in his writings. No one can make you happy if you choose to be unhappy. No one can make you unhappy if you choose to be happy. And so she started laughing because she realized, yes, Master left the body, but he's just with me, just the same in spirit.
One last question. I've been on the path for many years. I am a Kriyaban and love Master dearly. But sometimes I wonder whether when I leave this world, he will be with me. How can he not? Where is he going to go? <laughs> he is with you now. Just because we step into the astral at one point, is he going to leave us? Of course not. Of course not, it's not possible. We were told that by a devotee that she was away from home when her elderly sister passed away. And when she returned, the nurse was very moved, and she told her that there was this beautiful angel who came to pick up her sister, to take her to the other side. And the devotee was intrigued and asked, how did she look? Oh, no, no, it wasn't a she, it was a he, and it had this beautiful, dark, long black hair, <laughs> and was very luminous and radiant. We know who that one was, don't we? <laughs> and he said, to those who think me near, I will be near. So how do we keep him near? We can again follow Dayamataji's example. It wasn't too long ago, she was talking with me and she said, you know, I'm speaking to you now. I could be in a meeting, discussing various matters, facing challenges, solving problems, but my consciousness is always with my God. And then she raised her hand this way and she said, I won't let him go. So, don't let Guruji go. Keep it close to your heart. Make him your constant companion. And you say that, Master, that you love Master dearly. Don't you think that a premavatar is reciprocating that love? A thousandfold, a millionfold? Of course he is. Of course. And you are a Kriyaban. When you asked to become a disciple, in that moment, Master assumed the responsibility for you, for your spiritual life, and promised eternal friendship. That Friendship is present, will be with you until you find God. Remember what Sri Yukteswar, this awesome, very undemonstrative spiritual giant, said when he met Mukunda the first time? Oh, my own, you have come to me. And Master said his voice was tremulous with joy. How many years I've been waiting for you. And a moment later, I give you my unconditional love. At their first meeting, Mahavatar Babaji told Lahiri Mahashaya, for more than three decades, I've waited for you to return to me. Though you lost sight of me, never did I lose sight of you. I pursued you over the luminescent astral sea where the glorious angels sail. 
Through gloom, storm, upheaval and light, I followed you. Like a mother bird guarding her young. Patiently, month after month, year after year, I've watched over you, waiting for this perfect day. Now you are with me, my own. Do you now understand? And Lahiri Mahashaya responded, My Guru, what can I say? Where has one ever heard of such deathless love? Where indeed do we now understand that this is what our Guru is doing with each one of us? That we are always under his loving gaze. In closing, I would like to share a promise that Master has made to each one of us. Close your eyes for a moment. And feel that Guruji is speaking directly to you personally, because he is God has sent you to me, and I shall never fail you. Never think for a moment that when I am physically absent from you all, I am not otherwise with you. I shall always be watching over each one of you, And whenever a true devotee thinks of me, in the silent depths of his soul, he will know that I am near. Jai Guru. And may peace and peace and peace be everywhere. May peace and peace and peace be everywhere. <laughs>